Hello and welcome to the Double Pivot, the world's most agreeable soccer analytics podcast. I am Michael Cayley, coming to you on the Howler Radio Network. And were you aware that the soccer, uh, the, the Premier League season kicks off in two weeks? That seems soon. But we are here to deal with the relative lack of news that, that, that has come despite the season being two weeks away and to cast some pod. Uh, we're ready to go. We've got a whole bunch of your questions, and that's what's going to drive us through this podcast as well as the premium podcast of even more questions. And uh, yeah, that's what we're going to do this week. So uh, good, money. Ready to go? I am. The music you heard on the way in is The Whalers. We've got Max on the other side of the virtual glass. Please download, subscribe, give us five-star reviews, make us happy as podcasters. And if you'd like to hear even more questions answered, please subscribe to our uh, Patreon. That's patreon.com slash doublepivot, where we do a subscription podcast every week. Um, even last week, when we didn't do a podcast on the free side, because the World Cup had just ended and we were fried. Um, I would like to point out that I am not ready for the Premier League season to start, but at the same time, nothing is happening and we are desperate for content, which is why we are doing listener questions. So, like, I can neither abide by the lack of free time between the World Cup and the Premier League season or by having more free time between the World Cup and the Premier League season, and I don't really know what to do about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally blame the, the, the owners and directors of football of, of most of the clubs for not being fun and interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to go. Um, like, not only does the season start in two weeks, but the transfer window closes in two weeks and nothing is happening. Yeah, and I, I think a good way into that would be we got a few questions about one team that is really not doing anything. Uh, Chris Bentley-Smith asked us, uh, will Spurs sign anyone or anyone good this summer? Do we want to fold a Drac Grealish question into that as well? Since the question of will Spurs sign anyone seems to be specifically related at least to him at a minimum. Yeah, it sure does. So Warren Margolis asked us, uh, Jack Grealish Spurs, useful signing? Eh. Is their entire window going to be just fine by whether they're not they're able to hold on to Alderweireld? These are good questions. Um, Jack Grealish is a useful signing. Uh, his numbers seem to have become much better in the championship last season. Uh, he played somewhat deeper than he did uh, early on. I, I, I think that, that, that largely speaking... Grealish's talent has never been all that much in question. His his uh, ability to sort of move up and down a field and kick a ball sharply in a direction that he wants it to go. But he comes as part of a long line of these kind of English-British uh, midfielders that come up in sort of the, pr the Premier League's developmental structures and end up as these bundles of talent that don't necessarily have defined roles that they grow into and excel in. And sometimes they develop. Eventually, Henderson, for example, became quite a good six, but it wasn't until relatively later in his career, kind of thanks to Jurgen Klopp, that he really bloomed. Um, 
you know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek had a good year last year. I think we'll probably talk about him a little more later in the pod. But the same thing. Like, for, for years, like, the talent was obvious, but, like, what position did he really play? Like, how are you best to use that sort of generic set of skills? You know, somebody like Ross Barkley, talent's always been there. He has not developed. Like, um, you know, this is, in some ways, this is a generation of midfielders that followed on the heels of Gerrard and Lampard and never really, you know, grew up, it seems, being developed into bundles of skills without thought to how or where on the field they were going to play, with the assumption that that would just naturally come later. And for many of them, it just, it hasn't, or it didn't, or it's sort of like there, but for the grace of a good manager, uh, it wouldn't. Um, it seems like last year Grealish actually sort of found a position for the first time uh, under Steve Bruce at, 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 uh, in the championship. Uh, playing slightly deeper, doing more ball progression and less sort of tenny type stuff, and, and being really pretty good at it, um, all things considered. So I think that would be a useful signing for Spurs. Yeah, and I think I would add to that point with Henderson, you know, other other players that have, you know, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who, who may no longer exist, Pour one out for for AOC, but nonetheless, he developed in the you know he had some very good seasons, partial seasons at Arsenal, where he did a lot of midfield work, and he sort of had be, has become you know one of the best midfielders in the league, I think, toward the end of last year for for Liverpool. You know, so you get these guys who are these combination these sort of buckets of skill, and then you put them in a system with a manager who all who thinks that they know what to do with those buckets of skill. Klopp did that there. Um, Pochettino apparently likes Grealish seems to be the story here. And, you know, Deli Ali, Deli Ali was a midfielder. If, yeah. if, if you recall, uh, Poch- Pochettino found a way to take his quite different, but still no- notable sort of buckets of skill and, and turn him into a forward and now possibly back into a midfielder. I don't really know what's going on with, with, with what Spurs are doing, but yeah, Grealish seems like a fine signing. Grealish certainly seems like a sign that if you're doing that, you're kind of like piling up the eights. The eight eights and quasi eights and free eights in your uh it, it, on your roster for Spurs, which would suggest that's where they're leaning, uh, that they were leaning with some 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 sort of system more like a four three three or three five two, where you can use some of your more attacking midfielders, guys like Erickson, guys like Ali Grealish would sort of fit into this as midfielders in that pep mode. Maybe that's what they're looking at with him. I don't know. We'll know more when they do anything. So, right, right. I mean, Grealish seems like the kind of move that could be useful, uh, but it's probably a problem if that's your marquee move. <laughs> like, that's probably not great. And, and, and so to tie this maybe towards the other part of the question, it would not surprise me if what was going on here with Spurs is that they were sort of waiting for the Alderweireld sale to go through or to be firmer before investing money elsewhere. But, like, that may not happen now. Um, and then what? Yeah, and and similarly, I think there's a, something, something, something similar is going on with Lucid Dembele, not on the same uh, scale, Alderweireld was going to be, you know, 70 million, 50 million, Dembele probably in the range of 20 million, but that's a whole nother midfielder that was supposed to be leaving and probably still will be leaving. Um, 
and they were and and like Grealish doesn't replace Dembele. No. Um, I, I will say though that like it's less tricky if Dembele doesn't end up leaving. Like he is a a midfielder whose skills are are, are declining uh, at this point slowly. Maybe at some point more rapidly. Uh, he, so he's not quite what he was. But there's no tension there, right? Like there's no. Alderweireld was was like exiled last season, right? Like he was he was like. He got hurt, and then he was not put back in the squad, even when healthy, to play major matches. And he's a very good center back. And the prospect of coming back from that is uh, streaky. <laughs> yeah, this is... Um, Pochettino did... The, the, the one player who has returned, it seems, from exile at one point was Moussa Dembele who um, was really not involved much in that first season. He was benched regularly for Ryan Mason. He was made into a faux-attacking midfielder. And then he did return and become a key part of the of, of the of the Spurs team, obviously, over the last couple of years. So players have returned from, come in from the cold with Pochettino, but it's, it's rare. Um, and something similar is happening, it seems, with Danny Rose. Yeah. who looks much more likely to remain. Alderweireld, I think that if the money came, they'd just sell him. Uh, D- Danny Rose looks very likely to be Spurs' backup left back with, with Ben Davis after last year being, it seems, exiled for similar reasons. So I'm not sure what's going on there. There is, you know, both Rose and Alderweireld and, and Dembele. All of these are players where it, it makes sense within Spurs' sort of broad business strategy to sell a year early rather than a year late. Alderweireld, well, he's got a. You could argue with Rose that they already missed that window. The, the, yeah, I think I think that is that is correct. I, I think that is probably why they're keeping him because no one's going to pay for him at this point. He needs to have a good season before they can before they can sell him. Um, but you know, Dembele, I think, is is very precisely that, and and Alderweireld is a little bit less so. I don't think Alderweireld is going to like decline next year. Alderweireld's problem is that he ha- he has been not that they've been unable to sign him to a new contract, and his contract reportedly has a release clause that kicks in next year. So then, he, if 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 they keep him through this season, then there'd be a release clause he could leave for like twenty or twenty five million. What's and so they of, want to get that. What's kind of crazy is that this is like the second contract in a row where he's done this. Because if you remember, Spurs yeah. got him because of a weird contract out between Atletico and, and uh, Southampton um, after he had a great year at Southampton. Um, so, I, I, whoever is whoever his is manager is i suppose is either doing a very good or a very bad job depending on how this is redounding on his salaries <laughs> yeah um, I mean, it, it seems like it would be good for his wages but who knows um all right so as long as we're spending time talking about him andrew van norden flicked andrew van norden von norden flaked uh, apologies i think i'm close uh asks why can't tottenham and men and men you just straight trade alderweireld and marshall martial Disagreement over player values seems similar for both players. Both teams can feel that they won. Uh, as an American, I'm used to player trades as the norm. As a new soccer fan, I get that it's different. But here's a situation where a trade seems like it solves some of the haggling problems. 
Are there logistical barriers to trades that I'm unaware of, or is this just down to normal negotiation? Good question. So I, I think there, there, there's, there's two points here. Um, one is that there are problems, and I'm going to do some hand waving here. But um, fi- the financial fair play rules they deal with transfer fees and player contracts very differently. And so in certain situations, and I'm waving my hands very clearly at this point, in certain situations, it makes more sense for your accountancy, for your books, which you're then going to turn into UEFA Financial Fair Play to show them that you are you have revenues and costs and you're amortizing your, your, um, your transfer fees in a way it makes more sense to for both teams to pay transfer fees or transfer fees to cover some more of it than a trade. It, there, there are accounting reasons why things don't get done exactly as trades sometimes. Um, but that's a small issue and it's not really an issue for Spurs who are nowhere close to being in any kind of trouble. Manchester United probably aren't either, but they need to pay attention to it. Um, the issue at, in this case my understanding, and this is, you know, from the reporting, which is all gets kind of vague, but the story, as far as I can tell, seems to be that Ed Woodward, um, who is in, in, in president or whatever of Manchester United, doesn't want to sell Martial um, because Martial is really good and he has enough people who are smart working for him who think that Martial is really good, even though Jose wants him out. And he especially doesn't want to sell Martial to someone in the Premier League and see Martial turn into the superstar that he looks very likely to turn into over the next several seasons and be playing against them in uh, in, in the Premier League. I, th- I think that if they sell Martial, he wants to sell him abroad. And Martial is more than good enough to, you know, be a target for a Bayern, for a Juventus, for a PSG that's trying to sell off some other players. Like these all, are all things that could happen. I think that they're for a Real out. Madrid um, that needs to replace Cristiano Ronaldo and still has not. <laughs> yeah, um, and the other thing, the other thing to just keep in mind here when you're talking about the structures of how these things work is trades in American sports. You are trading the contract. The player is obligated to play for the new team under the same contract. That is not at all how how transfers work in in, in European sports, right? They they negotiate a new contract with the team that they are going to. Um, and so, if you were to do this kind of a player swap, both players also need to sign off on it, which gets complicated if there are other clubs out there willing to pay more and that that is likely not the case with Alderweireld I mean you're not going to get more money usually than Manchester United play it pay it is a specific strategy that United employ where they are happy to somewhat or significantly overpay on wages um, both to attract talent and to keep that talent from getting poached by somebody else um it may be a case for Martial and Spurs. We don't know. It would depend. Like, if Real Madrid decided they were interested, they would be offering two and a half to three times the wages that that Spurs would be offering. Um, and then it would become very, very hard for Spurs to make that happen. So the the structure of transfers when it comes to swaps, give players much more leverage than they have in American sports, where unless they have a no-trade clause in their contract... Trades, you know, they're playing under the same contract. 
Yeah. So, so some of the math then in looking at, you know, trades in the, the U.S. is what is this contract worth? You know, the, a player is X good, but then they're being paid 10 million over two seasons and that is their surplus value on that here. It really doesn't work that way. It's just about, okay, would you like to be playing, paying this player the contract that your team would then pay them? And they're going to be getting a four or five year new contract. So, you know, the fact that Alderweireld's deal is, is expiring soon, it just means you'd have to pay him now for um, into his age 30 seasons. It, the, the rumors, the stories now are that United seem to be maybe in for Maguire. Uh, is is that real or is that just sort of part of this negotiation? I don't know, but I think who we knows? Have a question and this about sort of that. shrugging is one of the reasons that we 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 don't have a clear take on this. It, but it's it seems to me that the fundamental problem with Martial and Alderweireld is simply that Manchester United. There are people at Manchester United who recognize that Jose Mourinho is being really really stupid about this. And don't want to compound that error by selling him within the league. I think that's the fundamental issue here. Right. Although since you brought up Harry Maguire, somewhere in our list of questions, we have a Harry Maguire question. Uh, ah, we got it on Twitter. Um, from Joe Whitaker. Is Maguire worth $65 million considering United have enough replacement level CBs already? So I'm a little confused by the logic of this question. Having replacement level players by definition doesn't change how you approach your transfers. I believe that Joe Um, is throwing some shade at Harry Maguire there is what's happening (laughs) and implying that Harry Maguire himself is a replacement level center back, which I don't agree with. Um, I, I think Harry Maguire's good. I'm not sure how good he is. I think here's the question. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I've I've been reasonably impressed with Maguire. Um, he's a yeah, I've, I've been reasonably impressed with Maguire. He's got a kind of um, because he's like English and seems sort of like gawky. He doesn't get these sorts of comparisons, but he has a very sort of like poor man's wild center back game going on like a sort of poor man's louise kind of kind of situation which i enjoy a lot and and i and he's, i think i think his defending has been solid it's hard to say how you, you transfer from the the, the the lesser system elsewhere but he's now moved within two systems and done reasonably well um Three how much you pay for players England. is so like yeah it's true how much you play for players is such a like is such a mess and we've got some questions about the mid table that we're going to get into this a little bit, but like, I, I think Mike Mike brought this up with the, with the Martial contract thing that like the way that different teams just sort of define themselves as paying a certain amount for players, and thus if they want a player, then that player becomes worth that amount. Is we had a question about like you know as an American I struggle with this as an American I still really struggle with this like within baseball where I where I paid the most attention to this and that where there's a collective bargaining agreement so there is a set minimum salary that everyone has to have and all the teams have defined amounts of revenues you can know with a with reasonable understanding sort of what teams budgets are 
then you can just say, okay, this is a $7 million player, and all the teams are working on similar ideas of what you pay for a player. That just isn't the case in European soccer in ways that to some degree seem like an obvious inefficiency and to some degree are related to the fact that teams have such wildly different revenue capacities that they're just sort of working in different universes. So, like, getting a center back at Manchester United kind of means spending $50 million and giving them, like, a, a big six-figure contract per week, like, you know, maybe 200 I don't know what, I, who knows. And, and, and that's just what you do when you're Manchester United and you have a value to player as being a Manchester United player, rather than, like, overbidding the the contract that would be a contract and fee that would be offered by the other team by just a few million i find it weird and sort of it makes it hard to analyze these in the way that i feel comfortable with yeah the the market right now is very fragmented um more so than it's been in a while um for a number of reasons I mean, we're going to talk about the mid-table in a second. But, like, everybody has money now. Um, but it seems like what has happened is teams at the top of the traditional economic peri- pyramid are reasserting themselves and their, their economic might in, in, in some real ways. You know, Manchester United... Spending three hundred thousand a week on, on on Sanchez is like an example of that. They can just do it, so they decided to do it. Um, Manchester City buying Riyad Mahrez for their fifth attacking midfielder, sixth attacking midfielder, um, depending on how you want to count Gunnigan, I guess, um, is an example of that. But they are it's it's not happening in a systemic way right it's not happening where they're that they're using their might by outbidding players when lots of other teams are trying to get them who are slightly less rich right mares didn't go for 60 for 65 whatever he went for because there was somebody else bidding for him that bid 5 million less he went because Manchester City negotiated a deal with Leicester at a high number. And that number was determined by... <laughs> and and that's the issue. Like, what's happening now is there's like a fundamental indifference from City as to whether they would spend 65 on Mares or 45. And and there's and there's no other team in between. And I mean, there are areas where this operates as a market, and areas where it doesn't. But the recent reassertion of Manchester City and and PSG specifically, and a little bit United, has been all about. Just like asserting their power to spend by spending, 
not by uh, sort of the traditional we have more money so we can outbid people with less money mechanisms of what you would consider a market to be. So I don't know. Like, is Harry Maguire worth $65 million? Um, to answer that question with a yes, you'd have to say somebody else would bid 60 I would somebody else bid 60 I who <laughs> like 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 who um but would Lester say no to 60 I I don't think so so you know on some level yes he is because that's what United might pay on another level no of course not like nobody else would pay that but then the third prong of it is it doesn't prevent United from spending more money on somebody else. So if they want to spend that much, it doesn't matter. Yeah, because it seems like some of these teams, either the, the, the super teams that either have money given to them by a sovereign wealth fund of a country that is, that is sort of like expressing soft power or just finding a way to get annoying princes to have something to do with their lives doesn't destabilize the kingdom, um, or teams that just have so much revenue globally that it just doesn't matter. Like, what United seem to be doing is just, if they pick a player, they will buy that player, and they won't engage in really strict sort of careful management of okay, how do we read the market for this player? Like, United spending $50 million for Fred is a perfect example of this. Like, there was not a $50 million market out there for Fred, but he was the midfielder they decided they wanted, so they got him, and that was what they spent. In some ways, it's not a completely, like, awful way of doing business if you can just identify the player. I mean, I mean, Liverpool to a certain degree identify the player and then go get them. They just seem to also pay attention to what the market would be and and pay more of a competitive price. It seems like United are doing that, but then they're just just buying them. Well, look, I think I mean so the way the market is operating now is much more like what I would consider to be a market for luxury goods. Than a, than a market yeah, for players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is weird because there are a lot of players available in the world. So discovering I want this player and he, treating that player like a luxury item, it doesn't necessarily make economic sense. But that that's where we are. So such is life. Um... So the answer is no, Harry Maguire probably isn't worth $65 million, but it's not the end of the world for United if they pay 65 instead of 45 Yeah, like, like if he were legitimately bad, we would be making that argument that it's just not a good idea, but I don't think he is. No, me neither. So I think he's, I mean, he, then, and, he, and he, might, he might be very good. He's at least pretty good. He might be very good. Yep. And, and and he's English, and you need to fill out a roster in the Champions League every year. So yep, that helps. So yeah, that seems fine. All right, should we move on? Or maybe they'll go after Alderweireld. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> All right, should we move on? 
Because it, it, just to be clear, it, it's it's very possible that that is not a thing that's happening. That that is part of the negotiations for all the world. So. These are all things that we'll learn. All right. Well, I, I wanted to actually, this seems like a good place to bring it up because we talked about like teams spending money and, and, and th- we actually didn't get a question about this, which is, which is weird um, because it was the only thing that happened. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm just going to ask, what, what do you think of Malcolm to Barcelona? Yeah, that's weird. I mean, I thought Malcolm to Roma made a lot of sense. Yep. I have no concept of Malcolm being good enough for Barcelona. I mean, maybe like he'll jump up in, in class and surprise me. And again, I, I don't really know how to evaluate price tags in this specific moment. I I, I don't understand what you're doing getting Malcolm when you think he's going to take minutes away from Usman Dembele or you're trying to move on from Dembele, that doesn't make sense to me. If if, if if you think we need Dembele and Malcolm because we have to play lots of minutes and we need lots of depth and, and so on and so forth, I, 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 can, I can maybe see that. Um, but I don't... Uh, it's weird... To take a swing on Usman Dembele, have it not really work for a season, and then decide that the answer to having that swing not work for the first season is to go get Malcolm, who is kind of like Usman Dembele, but not as good. Yeah, it's non-union Brazilian equivalent. I I, I don't... Like the the thing about it is the thing that is funny here, the reason I brought it up at, at this moment, is because what Barcelona did did is basically the thing that we were sort of kind of puzzling at other teams not doing. Malcolm, th- th- there was a price set for him that seemed pretty reasonable. And, you know, player that young, good production in, in, in Liga, you know, it looked like a good buy for Roma. So if it's a good buy for Roma, then if you imagine that the market is, you know, that, that all of these teams are participating in the same market and the, and, and, you know, the, the process by which a player is evaluated and, and found to be worth a certain amount of money and will produce a certain number of goals and wins and thus produce a certain amount of revenue. Um, then it would be a good idea for Barcelona to go and say, well, we'll pay five, mo- five million more for him, pay him a little bit more in wages and boom, you got it. Like that's sort of smart, normal, how markets should work. So like, I, th- I just thought it was funny that that all seems very, very coherent. And, and I think this is a fine price for Malcolm. This is the kind of price I would have expected team to be paying for him. What is weird, exactly as Mike said, is that Uspani Dembele is better than Malcolm in pretty much all facets of the game, and they have pretty similar games. And Dembele is also even three months younger. And so either you are planning to run out a Barcelona team that uses two wingers, which would be new, or you are planning to move on from Dembele with someone who is somewhat worse than him, which would be very, very dumb. 
or you're just sort of going and spending money for depth and now you've got a backup for Dembele and maybe he'll be useful. And like, that's not bad. Like that's, you, you got a good player for a good price who's young and has upside and you can find some cut minutes for him and maybe Dembele gets injured again. It'll get a bunch of minutes. Meh, it's not bad, but it is. It's not a pressing can, need and Barcelona have a bunch of pressing needs. Exactly. It, it it doesn't solve anything related to their midfield or the fact that all their forwards are old. But what is interesting to me is that you had Malcolm at, at a at a pretty decent price go in Aroma. And and, and it makes sense then that, that a bigger club might come in and offer a little bit more money and try to get that player. There are a lot of clubs that I can think of that might fit that category that need Malcolm a lot more than Barcelona do. Like Chelsea, for example, who are turning down lots of money for William for reasons. Um, I don't understand why you wouldn't sell William and buy Malcolm. Like, that, you're way ahead of the game if you do that. Um, and, and there'd also be some real art. In uh, in going in at the last second and, and and stopping another transfer in order to replace Willian, I think that would have it been would beautiful. have been chef kissing chef kissingly perfect. Um, <laughs> you know, like at, at, like it would have made more sense at Real Madrid than than than, than Barcelona. Again, in in exactly the same way. Like you can tell stories where like it would have made sense for like. Dortmund to be involved there. They don't typically like to pay that big a number, but like they could. I mean, they have the money to do it and they just moved on from a lot of pieces that were that were sort of taking up space and money. And so like like I guess what I'm saying here is to my mind, it would have made more sense for Malcolm's price to bizarrely get inflated as these teams came in and beat against each other. But that's just like the fact that the market isn't working that way is keeping that from happening. And instead you did have Barcelona swoop and that was that was well done on their part, sort of. The other part though and this isn't Malcolm, this is this is just in general continuing to talk about the market here, is I wonder how much of what's going on is all of a sudden a lot more teams don't have to sell. And I wonder if the, the Leicesters of the world um, or the Watfords of the world, because Richarlison just went for $40 million to Everton. Um, all of a sudden you're looking around and these teams don't have almost any history of having to make selling decisions from positions of power. You know, these teams who could just keep these players, um, you know, provided, as you say, they don't go to the jerk mattresses. Um, just like they have these players under contract. They don't have to sell them to make ends meet or to reinvest. They can reinvest without selling these players. So I wonder, like, if part of the reason that the market isn't working like we're used to seeing it working is the selling teams are acting differently. I don't know for a fact, but I think it's worth at least thinking about. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think on top of that, um, there are a bunch of things that might happen. That's true. You know, you know, I, I think you know because like Malcolm to Spurs would have made a lot of sense, but Spurs seem to be waiting on Martial. And so, do you you know what what is so that there become these sort of weird opportunity cost questions of okay, do we spend on Malcolm? Here, I mean, they, they wouldn't be able to spend over Barcelona, so maybe it was pointless. But while that was well before Barcelona were in, do we go for that and thus we lose our chance at getting Martial, who has put up more impressive numbers pretty much across the board, less less ball progression, he's less midfieldery than Malcolm, but still, I think you, you, I think most teams would would take Martial, and certainly, and Spurs would could use Martial's. Uh, finishing of chances more than they could use Malcolm's ball progression anyway. But like Malcolm's good. Malcolm would help Spurs. Spurs seem a little bit light um, in the forward, maybe one player light in the forward line. That's right. They're looking at Martial and, but they didn't do it because they're still waiting on that. And then, and I think there's a number of other moves like this sitting out there is Aiden Hazard moving. Is Gonzalo Higuain moving? Is PSG going to sell off a bunch of players? And so, that plus, um, so that that's happening with the sort of condensed timeline and 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 the window closing sooner. Plus, you have these mid-table teams either not selling or only selling for what seem like wildly inflated prices. Uh, McGuire would be on that list too, at sixty-five million. So those things are all causing teams to look at a market and see lots of players there that they might want. And then that sort of delays the process further. We've only got two weeks, though, so they've got to do something. All right. You brought up uh, Gonzalo Higuain in there briefly. So here is my next question. Yeah. It is from Jason Stahl, and he says, Each Mike gets to, gets to be his choice of either Gonzalo Higuain or Mario Mandzukic's agent. What should each of their next moves be? This would, of course, be because Ronaldo has showed up at Juventus, so... These two strikers, although Mandzukic has played a bunch of wing there, presumably might consider leaving and going somewhere else. So would you prefer to have Mandzukic or Iguain? I, I just like this question. I haven't, I haven't tried to think about what you would be trying to do from the agent side. We're always, we're always pretending to be teams. It's true. Um, pretending players. I like, I like this from the agent side. Uh, obviously, I just, you know, to a certain degree, the answer is whichever team will pay the largest transfer fee because for some reason I get paid well per, a percentage of that transfer fee, even though that has nothing to do with the work that I've done for the player. Um, so, <laughs> you know, but let's bracket the ludicrously corrupt and inefficient system by which agents are, play, are paid and pretend that agents are actually supposed to have the player's interest in mind. Yes. So do so, you want Iguain or Mandzukic? All right, well, I, I, t- I took Higuain, so I, I mentioned him. I'll, ta- I'll okay. take him. Um, I, th- I think he's an interesting case, in part also sort of interesting for considering the premises of the question. So, Gonzalo Higuain had a really disappointing last season last year for, for Juventus. It was not good. Um, his production in shots and goals and everything was way down from last season with Juventus and, and, and from his career norms. He's also... Uh, getting up there in age and getting larger, um, which is only happens to people as they age. It's natural and normal. Um, <laughs> he, he, he didn't play uh, all that much or all that well for Argentina at the World Cup. I mean, Argentina were a mess, but it, it certainly didn't make you 
toss out your null hypothesis that he is in decline. And so what do you want to do with that? What what would a player want in that situation? What does an agent want? How do you manage to get... Because he's not going to get the same money he's getting from Juventus unless he goes to a big club where he is almost certainly going to disappoint. Um, and we're looking at mostly big clubs in England. Uh, r- reportedly, Chelsea is looking for it. So like, I think that, you know, I think that everyone involved would just try to get him a big contract and Chelsea apparently want to take that risk. So you would do that. Um, I think that if you want Higuain to have the best possible production that he could have, I think you would want to stay in a league where he's not going to have to do as much defensive work, where he is not facing quite as high quality opposition. If you could find a way to get him a gig, um, you know, if 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 one of the Milan teams wanted to spend a bunch of money on him because he's famous, like that seems to be the kind of angle you could get him into a better situation. Um, they probably wouldn't. Both those teams are kind of stocked with forwards. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to sort of figure out where you would want to put someone as they're declining, but also where they can get lots of money. There isn't really an obvious answer to oh, that. Oh, I mean, I think I think for Iguain, the obvious answer is in fact Chelsea. If Chelsea are going to be dumb enough to pay him, then then you take that you take oh, that yeah. money and run. Uh, I I think it becomes more interesting if Chelsea wise up and, and decide that 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 what wouldn't make sense for them, and then I don't know. Yeah, and then his options I think begin to, a- to narrow fairly quickly. Um, which is kind of the Mandzukic issue here. I, I, I'm not sure I would want to move if I'm Mario Mandzukic. He's 32. He's a weird player. Um, I don't think you want to go someplace where you're going to be the the sort of sole striker responsible for scoring all the goals and leading the line and doing a lot of hard work. Um, you know, he hasn't been a a regular lead the line forward for, for a club for a long time now. Um, you know, he went from sort of being an awkward fit with Robert Lewandowski at, at Bayern to be an awkward fit eventually with Gonzalo Higuain at, at uh, Juventus with only like one or two years in between when he was figuring out how to share time with Alvaro Morata. Like, like he hasn't been the guy um, for a while. And I, I wouldn't, if, if you're a top team, I don't think you want him to be the guy, but I'm not sure that like there's a market for his weird particular set of skills. But I do think that the having coexisted with all these strikers, there's there's no reason he can't coexist with, with with Ronaldo. I don't I don't think doing his sort of hard work back post showing up gig that he does sort of from the left wing. I I think that that he would be fine playing that role for Juventus. And I think if I'm him, I'm I'm per- if they're happy to have me, uh, I I I am perfectly happy to spend two or three more years at Juventus before sort of like finishing up my career wherever I want to finish up my career. Yeah, I mean, he's he's transformed himself into the water carrier that allows you to have a forward in Gonzalo Higuain who doesn't do all that much defensive work. And now he can be the water carrier who allows you to 
carry uh, forward in Cristiano Ronaldo, who doesn't do all that much defensive work, but also scores a lot more goals and makes your team better. It seems like a good place. Yeah, I think I think if there's one issue, it's that the water carriers that have played with uh, Ronaldo in the past are very good passers. And, and and Mandzukic isn't really that. He's a he's a worker and a finisher more than a worker and a passer. So I do think there is some degree of an awkward fit. But I sort of feel like if he's going to be playing alongside Ronaldo and Dybala, like it'll be fine. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem likely that that I mean, if there isn't a big transfer fee to be gotten for him, which I think you're right, there isn't. I don't see why that would be the thing that that uh, Juventus would do to try to upgrade. Yeah, exactly. Team. I think that that's that's where I come down. It's a fun question, though. Yeah, no, more more questions about agents. I like it. Um, all right, should we? Should, what should we do? Should we hop back to the Premier League? We have some mid-table questions that we have not addressed, and I believe we've sort of referenced that we would address them a couple times. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I like this. This is from uh, Jay Waddle. Jai Waddell, sorry. Uh, I don't know. Who does better this season? West Ham, who everyone is claiming media, have had a brilliant transfer window, or Palace, who underformed hugely last year and you'd expect a bounce-back season from? So, those are interesting clubs. They are interesting clubs. Palace finished, like, 10th, right? Yeah, with like solidly seventh eighth best stats. Right, in the but league. I'm but I'm, but I'm, I'm saying in terms of expecting. But, but yeah, yeah, they 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 don't they don't have that much further to exactly pass. like like down the stretch they played well and, and and yes I think they probably their numbers were somewhat better than 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 where they finished but it ultimately it wasn't like they ended up scrapping for um in, in the relegation battle by by the last three four weeks of the season they had really pulled themselves clear. Um, they're also losing Ruben Loftus Cheek, who the 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 loan from Chelsea is up, and it seems like Chelsea are now going to keep him, uh, understandably so. And they have not replaced him. Um, they have so far managed to hold on to Zaha, but the window isn't over yet. So, I, I guess it is my turn to interrogate the premise of a question and say that it is not clear to me that we should immediately expect a bounce back season from, from Crystal Palace. Um, that said, looking at West Ham, I do think West Ham are pretty good. Uh, like, I mean, part of it is, I think that uh, like, I, I am a believer in Pellegrini as a manager. I think he's a, a good manager. Um, I think every time he's worked a step below the absolute elite level, his results have been very, very good. And then his two turns at an elite level, he's done better than you, than you remember that he did. Like, he was absolutely fine at, at, as Manchester City manager for, for the, the years he was there. Uh, he oversaw a, a, a Premier League win, a second place. Like, he did a fine job. And he did his one season in Real Madrid the, was, you know, they, they, they finished with over 90 points. Like... So I am a believer in him as a manager, and and I think the transfer window has been fine. So if I had to pick, I think I would say West Ham over Crystal Palace right now. Yeah. So so the thing about West Ham, um, this 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 everyone's impressed with their transfer window. Uh, to to me, it's mostly that they got Felipe Anderson. Yep. 
who like there isn't I don't know of a team I guess other, I mean Manchester City went for Riyad Mahrez and you can't uh, you, and, and that that pretty much gives them enough midfielders so you can't really fault that but like I don't think there's another team in the Premier League that couldn't have used Felipe Anderson at this price I mean I don't know where United would have put him <laughs> I mean, like, United are looking at a team that has Sanchez, Martial, Rashford, Lingard, Mata. Like, <laughs> is Felipe Anderson better than some of those players? Maybe, probably. But, like, at the same time, like, I just, I don't know what they would have done with them. Yeah. That's fair. But anyway, this is, this is, a, this is an excellent yes, for sign. for sure. Um, beyond that, like, they've signed a couple of center backs. I definitely do not have any Issa Diop takes, um, but they signed him for twenty million from Toulouse, and they signed Yarmolenko, who was like not terrible for Dortmund, but did not strike me as a player that like you know this guy is ready to go. No, he strikes um, me as finding his what, level at West Ham as opposed to. Felipe Anderson, who is a player who is, like, quite good that West Ham managed to get. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah I'm like, I'll put up solid enough numbers. I mean, he didn't play that many minutes. And he was he was he underplayed his expected goals a little bit, you know. But, you know, seven goals in 1,400 minutes for um, Dortmund is, is fine. Seven goals and assists in 1,400 minutes for Dortmund is fine. But, like... That, that one thing I, I am I am not seeing on that list at the moment is a midfielder. Wait, wait. they signed Jack Wilshire. Oh, I'm so sorry. Problem. No, I mean, I, I don't I don't know how that cuts, but like they did sign him. <laughs> it did happen. Yep. No, they 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 got him on a free, and he is still just 26. Wild, That's absolutely incredible. wild. <laughs> like part of me is like that could work. Could, but like I, I don't see the problem where this team didn't have a midfield being solved, and so like I like that they're doing stuff, and I like that they got a they got a they got a legitimately like Champions League quality player in Felipe Anderson, but and maybe these center backs are really good, and that's and that's great. Um, they bought Fabian Balbuena from Corinthians. I don't know who that is um but these don't strike me as moves that have clearly fixed the team other than anderson being a nice big upgrade yes also pellegrino took a pellegrini took a team to the champions league semifinals with yaya Torre, who couldn't move playing in midfield I mean, I, a lot of what I attribute expecting West Ham to be pretty decent this year to is going out and getting a real manager. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, a manager who will look at this team and be like, no, I'm not going to play Noble and Kuyate together as a two-man midfield. I'll figure something else out and, and go from there. Yeah. And, and, and just to, and to come back around to Crystal Palace, I, I agree with your take. <laughs> like, the, what what really worked for them down the stretch was putting Zaha up top. 
and Zaha's number exploded. Zaha suddenly was putting up like big time expected goals numbers and and scoring goals and assisting them as well, not just like you know popping the stats. And and they they, they moved the ball forward using mostly Andros Towns and Ruben Loftus Cheek, and now they're losing Loftus Cheek, and. So, and one of the reasons you would expect them to bounce back, basically, the huge percentage of Crystal Palace's underperformance of expected goals was that Christian Benteke had an all-time terrible finishing season, one of the most spectacular bad finishing seasons ever. He had nearly ten expected goals and scored only three, um, plus a penalty. So, like, just just horrific stuff. And so you'd expect Benteke to bounce back. His finishing has never been that bad before. It is unlikely to be that bad again. But if the moment you stick Benteke up top, you are suddenly losing what you just discovered in in Zaha, which is that playing him as a quasi-striker really unleashes what he can do. And so the bounce-back possibilities there are a little bit limited, and they have not replaced their primary ball progressor from last season in Loftus-Cheek. So, I also think they've got a pretty good manager in Roy yeah, Hodgson. Um, Hodgson figured out the, the Zaha thing toward the end of last season. He stuck with what was working. He didn't panic as the team was struggling. Things worked out pretty well. But, I have a bunch of questions about both these teams, and also the transfer window isn't, isn't over, so they'll probably do other things. Yeah, I'm starting to lose faith that these teams are going to do other things, and I sort of think that we're just going to sit here and expect them to do things right up until the season kicks off. (laughs) And then we'll all sort of look around and be like, what happened? But I mean, I I think there's a non-zero chance that teams did not correctly prepare and adjust for the accelerated pace of this summer between the World Cup and the early start of the season, which is also the first time that that's when the window is closing. Um. Yeah, I think the window is closing on this uh, free side of the podcast. Uh, we will be getting to more questions over at uh, patreon.com slash double pivot. You can subscribe and hear the second part of the podcast. Um, but before we go, uh, Mike, uh, there's been no soccer on. And, like, no news has been happening. So, I'm not really, what have you been doing besides soccer? I was like, what have you been doing? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm, I'm moving still. We are now on week two in the new apartment. There are still many boxes. Um... Oh, we went to the movies. We saw Ant-Man and the Wasp because that is what was playing while my in-laws were watching my daughter. And, yep. <laughs> that sure is a movie. It has both the Ant-Man and the Wasp in it. Paul Rudd is watchable. Uh, it is absolutely a replacement level affable superhero movie. And that is literally all I can drag out of my mouth about it. Uh, well, I, I am still on vacation. Uh, we were in uh, Montreal last week, which was delightful, and now we're in New Hampshire, um, st- staying in a, a condo. And, and uh, my, my my son, we, we've been doing some hiking. It's been raining the whole time, um, so that has limited what we can do. He's learning to swim at the pool, which is fun, and he's just been baking constantly. 
and doing creative bakes. That's fun. And I was asking him uh, today what, what he – he's like, let's do a creative bake. I was like, okay, let's do that. And I said, so what do you want to make? He says, Daddy, there isn't a name for it. It's a creative bake. I don't know what it's going to be. Can't argue with that and, logic. Um, so, so he, I know he, he, he's, 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 he's starting to make arguments now, which <laughs> um, sometimes is amazing because he comes up with like interesting arguments and sometimes is hilarious because they're so uh, comically self-interested. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, it, it, you, you let me have television after a bath. So I want to take a bath. I was like, you just took a bath an hour ago. I was like, yes, I got to watch television after that bath. Um, so basically, I have been, as, as I think someone on the internet once said, once you have a child, you no longer take vacations. You have extreme parenting adventures. <laughs> so um, that is, that, that's what we've been up to. Um, although he did, he did we, we've, I, I'm getting better at baking. I made a lemon cake that was like legitimately good because he wanted to make a lemon cake for some reason. So I, I, I'm pretty happy cool. with that. Anyway, that's what All I've been right. doing. We will. Uh, that's what I've been doing. For us, it will be minutes. For you, it might be never, or it might also be minutes, or it might be your next commute. Yes, that. Cheers, y'all. Cheers, y'all.